number 18. All right, Ruth chapter 4, verses number 1 through 18. God's Word says, beginning in verse number 1, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by, and he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And they sat down. And then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. And the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because it would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court uh, of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which Yahweh will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and Yahweh enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is Yahweh who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Well, we have followed these two ladies through tough times in life. I mean, the book opened with them being in Moab, trying to escape a famine. 
And all of them, there were three at the time, all of them were widows. So in order to survive, they strike out back for the land of Israel. One turns back and goes back to Moab. And Ruth and Naomi come on back to Bethlehem. They come back and they have been stripped basically of all status. They have been reduced to, uh, to, to poverty and they have to take up scavenging in a field in order just to make a living. I mean, they have been put through the ringer. Now, interesting enough, that's not where God intends us to stay. Have any of you been in the ringer? Or, or maybe today, you feel like your life is in the washing machine. Well, I got good news for you. That's not... God's ultimate destination for you if you're His child. Here's what we need to understand. In most instances, as a matter of fact, anytime I, I, I look at a biblical character, there's a pattern that seems to be so prominent until it stands out. And here's the pattern. All the people whom God used significantly in salvation history have been put through it, brothers and sisters. Do you hear me? So much that one great preacher has said that God uses no one greatly until He has first broken him deeply. So if you're going to get to the ultimate place where God wants you to be and where these two ladies ended up, which is what I call the place of blessing, if you're going to get there, you're going to have to pass through the school of hard knocks. You're going to have to go through some hard times. You're going to have to go through some breaking and you're going to have to go through some remaking. Now, if you're sure enough interested in God using you, you'll endure that. If really you don't have a lot of interest in being used of God to accomplish, for Him to accomplish something significant in your life, then you're probably going to hit the eject button and punch out when things get tough. These ladies went through it and they stuck with the stuff and they ultimately ended up in the place where we all want to end up. I mean, don't you want the destination of your life to be the place of blessing that God has for you? You know, we talk often about the preferred future which God has for all of us according to His Word, and it's something better than, it's better than what you would choose for yourself. If you could sit down and write out your own ticket, the destination that God has for you is greater than what you would choose normally or naturally. I don't know of anybody that would say, you know, I just don't want to go there. I want to live my life in misery, separated from the blessings of God, and just seem to be living in a briar patch my entire life. I, I don't know anybody who would say that. Yet, by the way some of us are living, that's what we are saying is that I'm not interested in reaching that ultimate place that Naomi and Ruth reached even though they had to stick with the stuff through tough times. So let's look at this passage and see what it is that it teaches us about our destination, the place of blessing. And I think there are two overarching truths here. And boy, this breaks down in so many ways. This is the final act of this scene play, if you were, the screenplay, if you will. And it falls into two basic uh, components. One is the scene of Boaz before the court carrying on the legal proceedings for the transfer of land 
and for the transference of Ruth. You know that was prescribed in the law, uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, about how important land is that a close redeemer, a goel, must buy it back because that land is sacred to them. And how if a brother dies without children, how the goel, the closest relative, is to take her and raise children up so that his name won't be cut off. The worst possible judgment for an Israelite in this day was to have your name severed. Your family name stopped. So that's why all the talk in this story about raising up his name on his inheritance and language like that. But notice, now the first part is is Boaz carrying on the legal proceedings at the gate in front of the elders in the court assembly. And then again, we pick up, um, oh, about in verse number 13, and we fast forward about nine months to the birth of a son. So let's look at it and see what this passage tells us about the place of blessing. I think the first general principle that's highlighted or underscored in this passage is this. Is that you can tell where you are headed by the road that you are on. Now, that not only applies physically, but it applies spiritually. You can tell a lot about the destination that you have in mind by the road that you are traveling. And... If you were to go out here and uh, on 79, go down about a quarter of a mile and hang a right and get on that own ramp to I-10 westbound, I can pretty much tell you where you're headed because you're not going to turn around until you at least get to Carryville. You know why? Because there's no exit. So you go up there and you make that right-hand turn. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I'm pretty confident in that you are at least going as far west as Carryville. See what I'm saying? And it's the same way spiritually. There's a lot of folk today that claim to be the people of God, claim to be on the right path, but the direction of their life says, no, you're not headed to the place of blessing. You're headed somewhere other than that because you can't get there from here. So notice what it is the Scripture says about being on the right road. And and these ladies could have taken a hard left or a hard right and got off and no telling where they would have ended up and what the final chapter of Ruth would have been like had they done that. But notice now, you can tell where you're headed by the road you're on. Here's the thing. The process must be followed. Check out all of these people. And by process, I mean what God has prescribed. God has prescribed that this is the way that things must be done. And when we have a clear process laid out for us in His Word, it doesn't matter what it is that we are wanting to do. We must follow the process, especially if we're wanting to get to the place of blessing. The process has got to be followed. And the Scripture is very clear about this process. Now, here's what Ruth and Boaz knew. We have been with them now for five or six weeks. We know what God is doing because we're privy to information that they weren't privy to. They begin to see what God is doing and how God has choreographed the situation, the circumstances in their life because He's sovereignly in control. And they come to an understanding in Ruth chapter 3 that God has done this in order that Boaz 
who is second in line may be the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, not only to redeem the land but to rescue the name, the family name of Malon by taking on Ruth as their wife. Hey, were you pretty convinced of that last week at the end of chapter 3? I mean, that's what God's doing. So they could have easily said this. Well, we see what God's going to do, so let's just go ahead and do this. Let's just go ahead. You and I are going to get married. I'm going to buy the land. Just ignore completely the process that God has laid out saying, No, you're, not, you're second in line. There's somebody first in line, and you've got to follow that process. What if they would have just bailed on, on the process and says, No, we can see what God's doing. The process is no good. We're just going to go ahead and do it. Listen, you can't do the right thing the wrong way and end up at the place of blessing. You cannot. No matter how right it is, you can't do it the wrong way and end up where God wants you to end up. Just this week, one of my pastor slash seminary slash missionary friends called me. And we've been talking about the possibility of him filling a position and doing some stuff that probably only he can do in kingdom expansion. And he called me this week. He said, yeah, he says, I really want to do this. I mean, is that not the right thing to do? I mean, my gosh, mission work, expanding God's kingdom on the front lines. I mean, that's a no-brainer. That's the right thing to do, is it not? So he called me. He says, yes, I'm in. He said, but wait a minute. He said, this might be a deal-breaker for you. I said, what is the deal-breaker? He said, well, I've kind of given my word to some people that I would be doing this and helping them until the end of the year. And he said, look, I, I, just can't, I just can't bail on my word. I've got to be a man of integrity, and I've got to at least fulfill my commitment to them before we can move forward. And he said, if that's a deal breaker, I understand. I said, deal breaker? I said, dude, that confirms it more than ever. I said, you mean to tell me that you're interested in doing the right thing the right way? I just studied this text. He said, well, if you put it that way, I guess so. I said, that's not a deal breaker. That solidifies the deal because you're telling me that you are actually concerned about your word and the value of your word and the truthfulness of your word and your own integrity until you're willing to put off what we know has to be done in order to maintain your integrity. He said, that's right. I said, it's a done deal. You see, it could have been very easy for him to pop out. And I'm telling you, we would have not gotten where we want to get through this arrangement had he violated the standards of God's Word in just trying to get there. You see, there are no shortcuts. The process must be followed. So when you know where it is that God wants you to go, when you know what your ultimate destination is, it doesn't give you the right to pop out of the process and not follow procedure that God's outlined in His Word. So check this out. Ruth and Boaz stuck with the process. Now, what's interesting about this is they stuck with the process even though it may jeopardize the dream. You ever thought about that? Well, God, if I do it this way, it's going to cause everything to fall apart. Now listen, if it causes it to fall apart because you're doing it God's way, then God never intended it to be done, right? If you follow the process and God overcomes all the obstacles in the way, then you have more confirmation and more certainty of knowing that this is the exact thing God wants you to do than ever before. So check this out. Notice, this potentially 
potentially jeopardize their dream of matrimony. Did it not? And you know, here's the one area of life where I have found that folk just refuse to take counsel. We've got this thing that we call premarital counseling. But you know, really, that's, that's a sham. Because premarital counseling, folk come to premarital counseling after they've already made up their mind they're going to get married. Am I right? Huh? I mean, I ain't, I ain't never had somebody come sit in premarital counseling with me and after six weeks premarital counseling saying, boy, we almost made a mistake. <laughs> we see now clearly in light of God's word and several other things, we ought not do this. I never had that happen. <laughs> never. It, the process has got to be followed. you understand what I'm saying? So here we go. In that area of matrimony, Ruth and Boaz, they, they had already determined what they were going to do and what God wanted them to do. But yet they would not avert from what God says how it should be done. And they stuck with the process even though it potentially jeopardized the end result. So check this out. Now just imagine, here Ruth is... Maybe Ruth is down at the gate because here they met at the gate and that's where court proceedings were handled. And the gate wasn't just like we have a gate going in our backyard. It's a big thing. Entrance to the city and there were even little rooms and things of that nature. It's where court proceedings and, and the, the business of the city was carried out. So maybe Ruth was standing there lurking in the background listening to the proceedings of the court. And imagine what she felt in verse number 4 when close relative number one says I will redeem it what do you think just happened to her I can tell you what happened her heart went all the way down to her foot because here was a guy that she didn't know she had no relationship with just stepped in and said oh yeah I'll buy it you offered it to me I'll buy it I'm first in line I want it you see the dream was potentially jeopardized there's one author who calls this the death of a dream. Because most of the time, in the process of attaining our ultimate destination and attaining our dream, it seems like it's going to vanish. And it's going to die. And it's going to fade away. And it's going to look impossible. Looks like it's over with. But what are you going to do? Are you going to stick with it? Or are we going to ball up the paper on which the schematic is drawn and throw it in the garbage and walk away? Well, it was potentially jeopardized here because they stuck with the process. But if God is indeed in it, listen, it's not going to die there. So check out what happens next. They stuck with the process. The process must be followed even though it may jeopardize the dream. And let me just say this by way of, of a general rule. The process must be followed no matter how you may justify it no matter how you may justify not following the process. And here's what I notice about us. We're, we're all alike, are we not? Every one of us as a sinner thinks that we are the exception to every rule. We just do. We think our case is, is exceptional. Our case doesn't fall under the guidelines. Our case is so strange that there's never been one like this in the history of the world. God's never seen this. This is catching Him by surprise. So He doesn't expect us to follow the guidelines that are set out generally for everybody else whose case is not so complicated to follow. You, you see, that's what the devil tells every one of us. But I want to tell you, that's not the case. Hey, listen. There are no exception clauses. 
It doesn't say that everybody has to do this unless you meet this standard or criteria or qualification. No, 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 no. Listen, if God has laid out a process in His Word, then it's, then it's, it's pending upon you and upon me. It's binding for both of us to follow the process. So here old Boaz followed the process, even though it potentially jeopardized the outcome. Check out the next thing. You can tell where you're headed by the road you're on. All right, so far, test number one, they passed it. They're still headed toward the place of blessing, are they not? They are, why? Because they are following the process. Number two, what, what, next, is it, what next stop is on this road if we're headed toward the place of blessing? Well, the participants should be transparent. Should be transparent. Hey, shouldn't be anything that we're hiding. Shouldn't have unseen ulterior motives. Let's lay it all on the table. So the participants should be transparent. Now here's where Boaz, who's second cousin, and first cousin differ. I want you to notice how God's Word makes the distinction between these two men. Look, Boaz was a mighty man of valor, remember? He was a Gabor Hiel. He was a noble man of noble character. So he's going to be transparent. But how about first cousin? Is he going to be transparent? Well, he wasn't transparent. As a matter of fact, notice how the Word of God deals with him. Check this out in verse number 1. Here's what Boaz said to him. Now, did Boaz know this guy? You better believe it. He was a close relative. Did he know his name? You better believe he did. But look at here. The Word of God doesn't even tell us this man's name because he's not a noteworthy person. As a matter of fact, here's what the Hebrew says. Our English versions are very friendly with the terminology in Hebrew. But here's what Boaz said to him. The literal translation of that would be, Hey, so-and-so, turn aside and come sit down. And all through this passage, that man's name is never mentioned. You see, Scripture is filled with characters like this who come so close to the kingdom of God who comes so close to being a part of something that has eternal significance and eternal ramifications, but they don't have the character to do it, and they draw back, and we never even know their name. That's insignificance, is it not? On the other hand, compare Boaz to him. Boaz, because of his faith, because of his graciousness, he just stepped from his lineage into the lineage of the one who's ultimately our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Wow. He's in his lineage and heritage. Check out what else the Bible says about this. The, the participants should be transparent, even with personal desires. Look in verse number 4 what, what Boaz says. Boaz isn't coming up there with ulterior motives. He's coming up there and, and everybody knows it and he even affirms it here that if you don't redeem this, I am. And the reason we're having these proceedings here today is to follow the prescribed process in God's Word in order to end up at the place of blessing. So you can buy it or you can deny it, but whatever, we're going to settle this and we're going to settle this today. So he says, yeah, he says, you're number one, but I'm number two. And I need to know, are you going to do this or are you not going to do this? 
And the old boy says, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy it. Now notice how quickly this man of no character flip-flops. And that's just what happens with folks who have no character and are only thinking of themselves. Notice what it is that Boaz says. Then Boaz said, look, he wasn't stunned at all. The guy said, yeah, I'll buy it. Get a feeling that Boaz knew him. He never panicked. Oh, Ruth's heart probably was in her left sandal. But Boaz wasn't. He just stays the course. So check this out. The participant should be transparent even with personal desires, but also with possible deterrence. With possible deterrent. Now what is a deterrent? A deterrent is something that just make folks, might make folks change their mind. That's a deterrent. It would deter folks from doing whatever it is that you want them to do, right? So, you know, uh, have you ever had this deal going on and somebody hid a little piece of information from you? That if you had known that piece of information, it would have been a deal breaker and you'd have popped out on it? Hey, how about buying a, a used car? <laughs> you ever had a used car salesman tell you all the potential problems with that car? All the possible deterrents? Huh? I, probably not. Most of them are going to say, look, only driven by a little grandma on her way to church every Sunday. That's the only thing that's ever been done. Huh? Uh, not that it's been stolen and wrecked three times and transmission's gone out and been replaced. And none of that stuff. But here, in this proceeding, the participants are transparent with one another. Oh man, God hates the day when we can do that, huh? Just lay all our cards on the table and say, here it is. Here's everything. Here's the good parts. Here's the bad parts. Here's the ugly parts. Here's the deal, warts and all. Check it out, what he says in verse number 5. Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you may also, or you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Now wait a second. Old first cousin was into this thing when he saw dollar signs, right? He saw a piece of valuable land. He was in this thing. But soon as a wife is put on the table, hey, does anybody know that wives are expensive? <laughs> Y'all ain't gonna laugh, are you? Mine's in the nursery. They are expensive to keep. Hey, but look at this, they're worth it. Huh? They're worth it. But this old boy wasn't... Come on, Cliff. <laughs> Cliff just got the elbow. He was still in shell shock, afraid to say anything, but that first line, women are expensive. Cliff didn't move a muscle. But they're worth it, Myra says. Say something, Cliff. <laughs> hey, they're worth it. Yeah. Heather can have every last penny I got. She is worth it. Now that's what y'all tell her when, they, when you go out of here, all right? Tell her that's what I said about her. <laughs> but look here, for a guy that's only interested in money and he's not interested in anybody else for anything else, all of a sudden that was a deal breaker, was it not? No, sir. He didn't want to have anything to do with a woman. So all of a sudden he comes up with a spiritual reason why he can't do this, Right? You know what I'm talking about. He says, no, I can't do it. That, that'll, mess up, that'll mess up my inheritance. Wait a minute. Nothing's changed except we added Ruth to the, to the pot. How's that going to mess up your inheritance? It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But nonetheless, this old boy was more than eager to concede his right to redeem that land as soon as Ruth was put up there. 
Now there may be a couple reasons why he did that. Notice what it is that, 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 that Boaz said. He said, on that day you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Well, here's the deal. Those people were kind of looked down upon greatly. They were the dregs of society in the neighborhood of nations. You know how they started. They started out when Lot was coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah and God was raining fire and brimstone down on it. And God says, get out of here and don't look back. And Lot's wife looked back. She turns into a pillar of salt. The destruction was so bad and so horrific until Lot's two daughters, who were the only ones that escaped with him, they just kind of figured that this thing was cataclysmic and the entire world is gone and the only survivors left on the planet are us three. So you know what they did in Genesis. They got their father drunk. They had relations with him. That was the starting of the Moabites. Do you understand why everybody looked down their nose at them? You understand why it was taboo for Israelites, a good faithful Israelite, have anything to do with the Moabitess? But notice, here we got a man of character, a noble man, a mighty man of valor who says, no, I'll take her. And why did he do that? I'll tell you why. Because Ruth had sold out her heritage. She walked away from her family. She walked away from everything she had in order to be faithful to Naomi, her mother-in-law. She said, wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I will die. She came into Israel to take shelter under the wings of Yahweh. Ladies and gentlemen, her old life had passed away. Behold, all things become new. And now Boaz says, I don't care what you once were. I know who you are now. And that's enough, good enough for me to marry. Son, listen to me. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ... Thanks be unto God that old things pass away and all things become new. It doesn't matter what you were. It doesn't matter what you did. It's a new day and here it is. You are now accepted in the beloved. Wow. Thank God for amazing, changing grace that can take an old Moabitess and graft her right into the vine of Israel. Thank God for amazing grace that can take an old redneck country boy that loved everything more than Jesus, shower grace upon his life, and engraft him into the body of Christ and use him for his glory. Only God can do that. Thanks be unto God for his grace. So the process must be followed. The participants should be transparent. And let me just say this, the proceedings should be public. Notice... He went and did all of this in the light of day. Got all the important folk together, said, I need some witnesses to what's about to go down out here. One way or another, it's got to be witnessed. Man, aren't we people of the light? And aren't you tired of secret deals and backroom politics that just seem to mark the business of good people today and especially the church? I had a friend of mine call me the other day. He's, he, man, he's a Boaz. He's, he's a man of character. Uh, God's, God's used him in numerous ways, but just an influential businessman in Jacksonville, Florida. And he says, you know, I was in church today and I was talking to old so-and-so about the same thing here, another guy who there's influential business. He said, this is what he told me in church. He said, he told me, he said, I'm telling you, the way world, the world is now, you can't be a businessman and be honest. And my buddy said, I was so taken back by this. 
till I didn't even know what to answer. He said, I wish I could go sit down by him today and challenge what he just said. Because that's wrong. We can be honest. We can be men of integrity. Hey, if we're not, we'll never get to the place of blessing. You can try to get somewhere the wrong way by being dishonest, by being secretive, by having ulterior motives, by playing the politic game, by manipulation and all that. And if you get there, you won't enjoy it. Check out. Number next. Got to hurry along. We see what road... Or we can tell where you're headed by what road you're on. But then finally in, these, in this last scene, you can tell what you'll get by the reward that's offered. By the reward. Is it really worth sticking to the stuff while you're in the washing machine? When everything seems to be in the toilet, are we going to be faithful and stick with the stuff and follow the process? Or are we going to punch out thinking that we're justified in whatever godless action and unbiblical counsel we choose to follow. Well, I want you to see this. You help me with this. I want you to be the expositor for a minute, will you? Start with me in verse number 11 where we start here. And I want you to take your pen in your hand and I want you to go through these next four verses, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, five verses, and I want you to underline every time you see the word may. Because every time the word occurs, it is what's known as a hortatory tense which is expressive of a prayer or a blessing. So when you identify all of those maze, now you understand the blessings that are potentially theirs because they have followed the process and stayed on the right road and did the right thing the right way. So look at all of those maze. After you've been through it, somebody shout out how many you got. How many you got? All right, you got five mays, but some of those mays have an and in the middle of them, and the may applies to both sides of the conjunction. So now if you really want to start counting blessings that are bestowed upon them and are prayed for, you got to count the conjunctions as well and count the fact that the may applies to both sides of the conjunction. For example, there in, uh, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, in verse number 11, may you achieve wealth. You see the and? And become famous. So you have one may, but you have two blessings pronounced under that one may. So here we go. Let's check it out. Let's try to make some sense out of this. What do you get? What does God bless you with when He is pleased with the path that you are on and you have stuck with the stuff and you've done the right thing the right way. What do you get? Well, these maze are going to define it for us. Do you see that? I mean, isn't Hebrew exegesis really easy once you see it? Here we go. Let's check them out. Notice what he says in verse number 11. Uh, he says, We are witnesses. Now here are the elders giving and pronouncing a blessing and a prayer request upon Boaz. May Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah both whom built the house of Israel. Verse number 12 expresses the same thought. May your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. What is the blessing that, that, God is, that God is going to bestow upon them here? It's simply a good start. A good start. I mean, Rachel and Leah, they were the beginning. 
They were the progenitors. It was the start of something great, was it not? And you know, those of you who are in construction will, will, will affirm this. Where you end up is determined by how you start. I mean, you can't build a mansion on a foundation that is crumbly. Can you not? I mean, you just can't. So if you want to end with something great, hear this. you got to start out with something great. So what do these elders do? In their wisdom, they pray. Man, may the inception of this thing be great. May it start out wonderful. Because how you start out is going to determine where and how you end. You know, only God can do that. Only God can give you a good start. That's a spiritual blessing. It's a spiritual blessing that God gives us. A good start. Now, check out number next. What else? What other spiritual blessing is delineated in here? Well, verse 11 and 12, these maize talk about how they want them to start. But then in verse number 11, look what he says. May you achieve wealth in Ephrathite. What is he saying here? He's saying, may you have a surplus of stuff to give. Have you noticed that Boaz was a man of grace by now? Have you seen how much he was always given to somebody? Kind of reminds me of John Wilson. You ever notice how about John Wilson? Huh? Somebody told me the other day, they said, John Wilson is so generous and hospitable, it just makes me sick sometimes. <laughs> and I said, why does it make you sick? He said, because it shows me how short I fall. I wish I was as generous. But he is. He's just a gracious, generous guy. And have you ever noticed this about John? And, and I'll never forget. 2015, Heather and I, we were still frontline missionaries, and we came home. We were home for a couple of months. We were going back. And I went to preach in a church, and that's that church that, man, just had this... I ain't never seen anything like the way they did it. We left there with a check that could have choked a mule for missions. And one of the ladies saw how flabbergasted I was about what happened. I mean, I'm used to working with Southern Baptist churches where everything has to be submitted to a committee. It has to be studied. Finance folk have to look at it. Deacons have to look at it. We have to pray about it for seven or eight months, and then we'll get back to you after the issue's done been resolved some other way. <laughs> That's normally how Baptists do business, is it not? Yeah. Son, these folk just on the spot stroked me a check that I... I and I, it wasn't the amount, it was how they did it that got me. But there was this one lady that saw I was just flabbergasted by this. And she came up to me, and this is what she said. She said, Dr. Allen, this is what we want you to know said, our church is on mission to find people who are on the front lines getting it done, taking the gospel to those who haven't yet heard. And we believe that if we'll be faithful to invest in those people, we will never lack for something to have to invest. And I thought, my word, I've never seen such faith in all of Israel is what I wanted to say. But you know, that's what these men are praying for. They're not praying that Boaz just become a, 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 a fat, wealthy cat for himself. They know that Boaz is nothing more than a channel of God's blessings. And if God gives him wealth, he's going to distribute it to everybody else. And that's what he did all through this book. So they pray. And man, that's a spiritual blessing, is it not? Now, why is it today that so few people possess that spiritual blessing? It's kind of like this. You know, God intends us to be a conduit, 
God pours it in and we just kind of funnel it out, right? I mean, we got to be wise about it. But we, like that lady said, we invest in folk who are getting it done. But too many times, we're not a conduit. we got a plug on the end of the pipe. And when you get a plug on the end of the pipe, God's not interested in getting any more to you if He can't get it through you. And could that be the reason why so few of us possess this spiritual blessing and we have a distorted view of money because of it? Check out number next. Not only do they pray this spiritual blessing, they'd have a good start. They prayed that he would have a surplus of stuff to give. And in verse number 11, they prayed that he would have spiritual status in Bethlehem. Check this out. Notice they said this, and become famous in Bethlehem. Now here's what they're asking. They're asking, basically asking God to take Boaz and use him as an example. Elevate him because he's been a man of faithfulness. He's been a man who has demonstrated the hesed, the gracefulness of Almighty God. And they're praying that God will elevate him and give him status so that God can use him as an example. You know that's a spiritual blessing? It really is. Those are your people of influence. Those are the people who in Bonifay, when they speak, folk listen. Those are the Jerry Newmans. Those are the Bo and April Durhams. Those are the people that this community knows. And they've watched their walk over an extended period of time, over a course of years. And they realize that these people are people of integrity and character. And they're noble. And God has given you that elevated status. Why? In order that Bonifay can look to you folk and see what God does when He pours out His blessings upon somebody because of their faithfulness. So they pray that that God will elevate Boaz to a place of status because God knows Bethlehem needed a good witness. Bonifay needs a good witness. Now, you know, I, could, I, I really struggled with this text all week because there's so many ways to divide this thing. I could stop right here because these first three blessings that we talked about, they apply to the initial followers of the Lord, right? But these next refer or apply to the immediate family of the initial followers. In other words, we've got parents and we've got children. And isn't it true that God, when He blesses parents, that it's too much for them to contain and it splashes out over on their children? That's why the writer of the Proverbs says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And he's not just talking about dollars. He's talking about the spiritual wealth that God has bestowed upon him because of his faithfulness. It splashes out and gets on everybody around him. So really, grammatically, these next three that I'm going to delineate, they refer to the immediate family. Hey, you want your family to be blessed? I don't know of any parents who don't want their kids to have it better than they did. Am I right? I mean, that's just the way we go. That's how we roll. But how about spiritually? We're consumed with the fact that we don't want our children to have chopped cotton like I did when I was a little boy. (laughs) But how about spiritually? Do you want your children to be a little bit farther down the road spiritually than mom and dad were? And you see, that's what this blessing is all about on this child. Look at number, verse number 14. This is, this is, this is significant <laughs> because what they pray for is that this son of theirs will have significance nationally. 
Now check this out. you got to see the juxtaposition here. They prayed that Boaz would be blessed in Bethlehem. Do you see that? But now look what they prayed for the son. They prayed that the son may his name become famous not in Bethlehem, but in all of Israel. And you see, that's what he's showing. He's saying, moms and dad, if you've done it right, if you've followed the process, if you've tried to get to the right place the right way, then hear me. Your children will have more significant impact for the glory of God and the expansion of His kingdom than you ever did. But yet all we want to do is sit around and talk about how the world's going to hell. How things are just declining. How it's getting worse and worse. It's harder and harder to follow the Lord. Hey man, we have the ability to turn that around. Did you know that? At least within the confines of our own family. May it be that our children do exceedingly abundantly more than we did. Have a greater splash in the pond of God's kingdom than we did. But let's just be honest. Too many times we're trying to make them the next baseball star. And we want to run out every weekend taking them to another travel ball game so they can hit the major leagues one day. And although they hit hit the major leagues, they wind up in hell. Huh? I mean, come on. It ought to be our expressed intent purpose as the people of God to live in such a way that our children have the ball set on the tee for them spiritually. And it may be that I don't get to see global evangelization take place in my life, but bless God my children might because we're setting them up. Huh? Check out with me number next. What kind of blessings do you get? Well, these are all spiritual blessings. Have you noticed that? Why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. They're available to us, but do we possess them? Check out the next one in verse number 15. Notice what they say. May, you see here's that word again. May he also be a restorer of life. Let's stop right there. What is he talking about? He's talking about the spiritual, the, the, the spiritual blessing of being satisfied in life. It's having satisfaction in life. Because Naomi, when she came back, she was reduced to nothing. As a matter of fact, she said, change my name from pleasant to bitter. I've lost it all. There's no more pleasure in life for me. That's how bad it got. But now they say, no, because you've been faithful. And because you have stuck with the process, you've arrived at the right place, the right way, now you're going to have all of life restored. Isn't that cool? Hey, do you know God can make up in one day what the devil ate out of your life over the course of 20 years? He just can. That's the God we serve. And boy, this thing of satisfaction is so big today. Can I ask you, are, are, are you satisfied with life? That's a spiritual blessing. Can I tell you, I know people who have enough money to burn a wet mule and they're as unhappy and discontent and unsatisfied as they can possibly be. I hear folk on a regular basis say, you know, when I was a young man, I leaned my ladder against this certain wall and I decided come hell or high water I was going to climb to the top of it 
and I got to the top of it just to find out what? That they lean their ladder against the wrong wall. There are no spiritual blessings up there. There's no satisfaction in life. And they're just absolutely miserable. Hey, watch me. Life is too short to live it miserable. Huh? And we will live it miserable every time if we take the wrong road and end up in the wrong place. If our destination isn't the place of blessing to live under the smiling pleasure of a blessing God who pours out spiritual blessings upon us that can't be bought with money, son, we're not going to live a satisfied life. Check it out, I'm done. Woo, I'm done, I ate my time up anyway. Satisfaction in life, and number 15, check this out. May He also be a restorer of life, and here we go, a sustainer in your old age. You know what this is about? It's about security. Security. Who's going to take care of this widow when she gets old? Well, now we know who is. He's going to be your sustainer. He's going to take care of you. He's going to meet your every need. You're not going to go without a meal. You're not going to go without a roof over your head. You're not going to go without clothes to wear, any of that stuff. You can just rest assured that you are in secure hands. You know, we try to... My gosh, we try to get around that so many ways, but how many of you just have this... How many of you just... I was on... I was in the jungle of Brazil a couple years ago and there was a church, one of our church partners come down and they sent, a, they sent a, a team down and on that team there were two gynecologists. The most prominent gynecologists in that big city. And I was up late one night talking and one of those gynecologists who is the man in that area, everybody knows him, he just sat down put his hands in his head in front of me and started crying. He said... Brother Richie, I'm just obsessed with one worry that has plagued me my entire life. And I said, man, worry, what in God's name do you have to be worried about? you got enough money to burn a wet mule. And he said, that's exactly what I'm worried about. He said, I'm worried that one day the money's going to run out and I'm not going to have anything. I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to afford basic necessities of life. And to a poor missionary in the jungle of Brazil living by faith, that sounded retarded to me. That's not a politically correct word, is it? But it described what I was hearing. Something wasn't connecting here with this guy. But you see, he had a security problem. He was trying to find his security and money, and everybody knows that you can have it today and it can be gone tomorrow. That's why Jesus said, lay up treasure for yourself in heaven where moth doesn't eat, where, where rust doesn't corrupt, and where thief doesn't break in and steal it. It's eternal and it'll give you security. Hey, we're not talking about social security. We're talking about eternal security. Huh? There's a difference and it only comes from God. Look, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the stock market's going to do. I don't know what the economy is going to do. But I know my God is faithful to His Word. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. Huh? He's going to take care of you. Rest in that security. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you to go out and quit your job tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm saying, if we stick to the stuff, 
We stick with the process. Arrive at the right place, the right way. God's going to take care of us. That's all there is to it. He's going to take care of us. Remember my buddy that called me earlier in this message? Said there's one thing that might jeopardize this deal. I gave my word to somebody and as a man of God and integrity, I can't break my word. We're going to have to put it off a little while. Remember that? We began to talk about what... All right, tell me about finances. How are you going to support yourself in this? And he started telling me some things and this is what he concluded with. He said, I've been doing this just like you for 30 years. My God has never failed me and He never will as long as I do what He wants me to do. Man, that's security. Of somebody who's walked with God long enough to know that you can trust Him. To check out all this, there's one more thing and I'm done. You know why, you know why, you know why this kid had all these blessings pronounced over his life, why he was going to do all this? It's hidden in his name. Look at the very next verse, verse number 17. They named him Obed. You know what Obed means in Hebrew? It's the root word for servant. So you know the pathway to these blessings? It's about being a servant of God. Not by using God, not by acting like we're the master and He's the servant, but letting Him be Lord and us be servants. Say, no matter what it is, sir, I'm here reporting for duty. Because all the spiritual blessings of God come through faithful servanthood of His people. Hey, where are you headed today? God has a future marked out for you, but maybe you're on the wrong road and you're headed in the opposite direction. In Jesus' name, spin it around. Let's do the right thing the right way. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, thank you for these abundant blessings that are promised to your people here in the book of Ruth. And God, I pray that your people at Grace Church would so exemplify these blessings and so be in possession of these blessings that God, you would be able to elevate us, not only in Bonifay, but in this nation and around the world for your glory. So God, I pray for those who are here today that just need to turn around, maybe, maybe been on the wrong road, maybe been seduced on a side trail. I pray, God, that today we'd come home, we'd get on the right place, get on the right path so we can end up at the right destination, the place of blessing. Pray for those whom you're speaking to about salvation and they've never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? God, I pray today would be the day. I pray for those whom you're speaking to about joining with this community of faith, being a part of this family that's striving to serve you. God, may today be the day that they're just an obedient servant. God, whatever you've said in Jesus' name, would you be pleased with our response? Cause us to end up today and the place of blessing for your honor and glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Uh, Cliff Myers is going to be up here on one side. I'm going to be on the other. If God's spoken to you today and there's something that you need to do, there's a decision that you need to make in Jesus' name, you just be faithful.